to Zoni Living. Do you ever feel awkward around someone who doesn't look, act, or think like you? Just admitting this may feel politically incorrect. Four-time best-selling author Kelly McDonald is bringing these issues out into the open. She's considered one of the nation's top leadership experts in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And because we are increasingly working with people not like us, she's written a book to help us navigate what sometimes feels like very uncomfortable waters. Her book is called How to Work With and Lead People Not Like You. Kelly joins us now from Estes Park, Colorado. Hi, Kelly. Hey, hi. So um, great to have you here. I know you've been traveling a lot talking about your book. Yep. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. You bet. Well, when people hear the word diversity in organizations, it often puts us on edge. I know you feel that a lot. You hear that a lot. It feels like trouble. It feels like we may have to be really careful about what we might say. Uh, it feels like work, like we might have to go to training classes so that we don't say anything offensive. Kelly, why do we feel this way, and how do we get this get past this discomfort? It's a great question, and I think Bonnie, that one of the things that has happened over the last couple of decades is as diversity training entered a lot of corporate environments and organizations, the focus was on diversifying the team, but not on how do we work together? Like it was on the what, but not the how. Absolutely. And what I find is that people, to your point, are so afraid of saying the wrong thing or having what they say taken the wrong way that they choose to say nothing. And thats I don't think that's good for business. I think we have to always be able to talk about things, and especially the difficult things, because that's how we keep the ball moving forward uh, on business. And um, that's why I wrote the book. And that's one of the things I talk to uh, groups and organizations and conferences about is, how do we do this? Because people want to do the right thing. They just don't know what that is. They Absolutely. don't know what that is or what that sounds like. Absolutely, and there are a lot of ways that people do feel uncomfortable and feel left out in an organization. And you and I talked about this earlier. We're talking about passive aggressive behaviors like freezing people out of uh, not including them in emails or meetings, um, sometimes withholding information. And, yes. and some of this can, be, can feel pretty nasty and feel intentional, but maybe more commonly, we may not be able to understand each other very well. We may uh, don't, understand where they're coming from, their opinions, um, their cultures, or any number of ways that we may be different. Uh, tell us about that. Well, I think you're right. You hit the nail on the head, and there's there's sort of two things going on in your statement. The first being the people who are truly sabotaging somebody else at work for whatever reason. You know, they've got a grievance. They don't like them. Uh, you know, they're trying to make them look bad for whatever reason. And I think in any office culture, you have that kind of person sure. who is doing the info hoarding or, you know, just making sure that that person is not set up to succeed. But I think among people who are what I'm going to call normal, good people working, which is most the struggle, people in the workplace, <laughs> the struggle becomes if you're different from me, how do I bridge that gap? Because I don't think like you, I don't maybe behave like you, I don't understand the perspective that you're coming from. And I would like to take this moment real quick to just say that when I talk about people not like you, that's a very deliberate phrase on my part for business because 
I think people think very, very narrowly when they hear the word diversity. They think race, ethnicity, age or generational differences, gender, and now sexual identification or gender identification. And so that's those are important. Those are what I call the big five. But I believe any way that you can be different from me means diversity. So if you're an introvert and I'm an extrovert, we're going to be very different. If at work you're a risk taker and I'm risk averse, we're going to be very, very different. Uh, you know, even if you're a morning person and I'm a night owl, we're going to be different. So everybody has a different kind of work style and we all bring our backgrounds, our perspectives, our culture, our frame of mind, everything to work. And if I'm different from you, I've got to figure out how to connect with you in a meaningful way so that we can be productive together. You know, Kelly, and you, you bring out in your book, and I really like this, um, that in your book, you give an example of how people can be different in thought, too. Yes. And, and you had a great example in your book, and I uh, want, want to ask you to share that about Bethany Frankel's Skinny Girl brand. Right. So it is a great example because sometimes diversity of thought, and also in this case, it's uh, it's also diversity of perspective. Bethany Frankel, you know, one of the original housewives, yes. right? Real housewives. I think it was Real Housewives of New York. Yes. The flipping tables and stuff that they do. <laughs> um, she had an idea that maybe women would like a really good tasting, low calorie cocktail that didn't blow 40% of their day's calories. Right. So she took that concept and she pitched every single major liquor company in the United States, every single one of them. And every single one of them turned her down. And what I'm about to say next is not sexist, it's just fact, which is every one of those companies is headed by men. So the other thing that's factual is that for men, they metabolize calories differently than women do. It's just harder for us. And that's a fact. Yeah. So our bodies operate differently. So when she pitched this concept um, for a good tasting low calorie cocktail and was turned down by every company, she went ahead and forged uh, ahead on her own and built the company and the brand. And in two years, and if you think about how fast two years go by, it goes by for me like that. For sure. She sold 400 million cases of Skinny Girl, okay? 400 <laughs> million cases. So clearly there was a demand for the product. And at that point, Beam, as in Jim Beam, that liquor company, bought her company back from her for $100 million. The same company that they had taken a pass on oh just 24 gosh. months earlier that they could have gotten for a song. Oops. So, yeah, oops, for sure. I mean, at least they were smart enough to jump on and get in there after the four, first 400 million cases, but they missed out on those. And what I think happened here was what I call a failure of perspective. And that is, I don't think that when she went in to pitch these companies that they thought her idea was stupid or bad. I think they just didn't get it. I think they were like, I don't know if anybody's going to buy this. Sure. Uh, well, heck yeah, we Unders are. <laughs> Understandable <laughs> if you're coming from that perspective. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. If you're a man at that table and you're just kind of going, ah, you know, I don't know. It's okay. But I don't know if there's really a market for this. I promise you, if there'd been some women around that table, those women would have been like, hold Sur up. Serve we me are up. onto something yes. big here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's failure of perspective. And that has nothing to do with race, ethnicity, age, gender. Well, it does have to do with gender, but it's a failure of perspective more than anything else and a, a true way of being diverse and how it can hurt business when we don't consider other people's views and backgrounds and perspectives. You also had a really good point in your book when you're talking about paying attention to the key opinion leaders that are in your 
you're on your radar, the people in your company, and I believe you called them pilot fish. Uh, yes. People who yes. are making a difference. So pilot fish is my, one of my favorite phrases in, uh, it comes from fish, okay, schools of fish. And it's funny because it's like, you know, if you've ever watched National Geographic or the Nature Channel or something like that, you see these schools of fish and they're swimming, swimming, millions of them, hundreds of thousands of them, and then they turn on a dime. Oh, and they so all turn fast. exactly at the same time. Yes. And so the question becomes like, how do they know to turn? Right. Like they're doing it all at the same time. How do they know? What's the communication? And there is a pilot fish at the front of that school. And that fish is seriously the pilot of that school. And when that fish turns, all the other fish do too. And so I translate that to business then and say in any organization, whether you're in a leadership position or not, or whether people are, they can be pilot fish. Those are the people who are influential. They are the people who are opinion leaders. They are the ones that other people listen to. And so even if they're not a supervisor or a manager or a leader, you kind of know who they are. You know who are the people who everyone else in the company, when they hear a rumor or something, is going to go talk to that person mm -hmm. and say, what's going on? You know, And it's very important as a leader, if you're trying to make your team more productive, despite their differences or you know, with their differences, is to cultivate the pilot fish and say to them, look, we know that you know people really respect you and listen to what you say, and we need your help going forward on our diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts because it really matters, and people are going to have questions, and they're going to come to you. And so we need your help to lead this even, or to support this, I should say, to support this as we go uh, down this road. And I think it's really important because those pilot fish are there and they really do shape opinions. Yeah, they are leaders in the company, whether they have that title on title. their, uh, on their uh, desk or not. Yeah. I, I wanted to also talk about building the pipeline to make sure that you are cultivating diversity for leadership roles. Yes, uh, it's a really important hot topic now because every company is kind of, uh, I would say had a realization that, you know, the world is changing and we're all becoming more diverse and maybe their company hasn't really reflected that till now. And so the best companies are the ones who are saying, you know what, we're not as diverse as we could be and we know we need to change that. So we need to get more people into the pipeline. And the, the reason the pipeline is important is because one of the things I hear from organizations and especially people who hire is they'll say, there are no good candidates, you know, like we don't have any good candidates to hire. And the good candidates are always out there. It may mean that you have to change your recruiting and uh, your focus of where you're looking for people, but that's where the pipeline becomes important because if you bring diverse talent into your organization, like any other talent that you're grooming, you wanna groom them to lead and, and, and move up and promote. And so you can't just wave your magic wand and say, okay, we have diverse people now, we're good. Because that leadership needs to be cultivated and uh, you know, supported and so that, so that people succeed in those positions when those positions are available to them. Otherwise, it's the worst kind of tokenism. Mm. It's the worst. I've seen it. And, yeah, the and it's not fair to anybody. Right. It's a terrible thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we also talked about, uh, you know, how to help people in the organization chart their path to become yes. leaders. And, and that responsibility is, is on the person who wants to uh, climb the ladder, but it's also on the responsibility, I believe, on leadership as well. So you talk about that, too. I do. Thanks, Bonnie. That's one of my most 
favorite things to talk about because uh, I have a very good friend who is a black professor at the University of Utah. And she was sharing with me that earlier on in her career, she was working for an organization, not in academia at that point. And her boss, another woman, called her into her office one day and said, hey, so-and-so is going to be resigning, uh, retiring, you know, retiring the company in six months. And she asked my friend, do you want that position? And my friend said, yes. And she said, okay, so we have six months to get you ready for it. And what that means is you're going to have to sit on some committees. You're going to need to be introduced to some people that you don't know. And you're going to need to put in some time and work on these committees so that when the six month period is up, and they're filling the position, you're not only eligible, you're qualified because you've already been doing the work and people know you. And yes. I thought that was such a great and simple story of both of them working together. I mean, her boss did not do the work for her. She was at, you know, she was the one having to work on nights and weekends on these committees and do all this extra work in addition to her full-time job. But her boss was smart enough to say, okay, we have six months you need to meet some people. Nobody knows you in this organization. I'm going to help you and open some doors in that area and get you on some of these committees that will share with, you know, that you'll learn from about how we need leadership going forward and what these positions entail. And I just thought it was such a no cost tactic that yields big results. And my friend did get the job and she was wildly successful in that role because her mentor and her boss set her up to succeed. That's the way, that's the way to do it. That's, that's really great leadership. You know, you dedicate a whole section in your book about uh, making the, we value diversity message real. And you describe walking the walk, educating people about diversity on a daily basis and also making a diversity plan and treating it like any other business plan, like a marketing plan that you don't leave on the shelf, you bring out and you follow. So I wanted you to expand on these concepts a little bit and uh, leave us with some really great advice about what leaders can do. Great. Um, so we value diversity as a statement that every company or organization wants to make these days. Sure. But like anything else, if it's not sincere, that's 100% transparent. We can tell when you mean it and when you don't. And when you're mouthing the words or saying the words or putting those words on your website, but there's nothing to back it up. So if you're going to be truly committed to making your organization more diverse, more equitable, uh, and more inclusive, then there's some things that you really have to do. And one of them is, again, build that pipeline of talent. That's really important. Uh, You not only need diverse talent today, but you're going to need diverse talent tomorrow and then in the next five years and in the next 10. And you're going to want diverse talent at the leadership level so that you're gaining the benefit of different perspectives. I mean, that's what makes great companies great is that they can actually anticipate future problems. And that's because they do look at different uh, perspectives. So it is about maintaining that pipeline and building that pipeline with good talent. And then also really being involved in the community. You can't just, I mean, to me, it's kind of like saying, we're all about sustainability, but you're not even like recycling paper at your <laughs> office or something. So right, easy to say. Walk, yeah, you got to walk the walk on this stuff. And yeah. I think if you really support diverse talent and diversity as a concept, a business concept, not kumbaya, we are the world, but as a business concept, then put your money where your mouth is and start perhaps you know maybe donating a, a, a scholarship to an underserved 
uh, high school so that somebody can go to college and get a higher education, um, maybe doing internships, et cetera, and really just you know walking that walk. The other thing is it has to be consistent. You can't do what I call, Bonnie, launch and abandon. Okay. Mm. That's also one of the worst things that you can do is, oh, we're going to be doing in you know diversity and inclusion now. And you talk about it in January or February of your fiscal year, and then you never talk about it again. Mm. So this is an ongoing part of your business. And as you mentioned, treating it like any other part of your business. Every organization is constantly looking at market opportunities, competitive opportunities or competitive threats, um, marketing, sales, technology, social media, all of these things are a regular part of business conversations today in any organization. Diversity, equity, inclusion should be part of that too, because this is the fabric of our business going forward. And so this isn't something that you can say, you know, again, we, uh, we, we value this. And so we can check that off the list. Now we said that you've got to walk the walk. And if you do, the thing that leaders need to know is that employees are watching at Mm. all times, absolutely at all times. And the actions speak louder than the words. And so one more point I'd like to make on this too, is there's horror stories of, of many organizations that have hired diverse talent, but they don't necessarily include them. Okay, so there they are. They're on the they're on the payroll. They're on the org chart, but they don't really have a voice at the table. And so that's a great diversity effort. But the real value in diversity is not just having a person who looks different than you or is different than you there. It's their perspective. And so the best organizations are finding ways to really make sure that they're, you know, that they're garnering the different perspectives and saying, we want to hear from you. We want to have meetings that you're included in, or we want to have ways that we are talking about this macro problem with everybody and getting the different perspectives that perhaps they lack. You know, Kelly, you talked to me about a great icebreaker that you've done with executive teams, and that uh, that really does break down the walls and help people get to know people. And I think that's part of a building. It's helping people build a relationship and and take the first step to finding out something different. So share that with us a little bit. Sure. Um, And I can't say it's original. It was a boss of mine who did this years ago, and it was wildly successful. First of all, let let me give you my setup on this, which is business is very important. And of course, at work, we're there to do a job. But people are people. And at the end of the day, we're people doing a job and we have lives and we have families and we have interests, et cetera. And so what this particular boss of mine did years ago, there were about 60 of us in a team that were working at a global ad agency. And so we knew some of the you know, team and we certainly saw the names on the emails, but I didn't know everybody on the team. It was just, you know, I didn't interact with everybody. And he pulled us all into a conference room one day and told us not to sit so that tells you it's going to be a short meeting. <laughs> I, love, anyway, I love those kinds of bosses. I know. <laughs> so, and so we're standing there. All, all of us are standing there around this massive conference table, and we're like wondering what we're there for. And he's like, don't sit. And he said, we all work together, and so we have the same values and the same goals when it comes to our clients and you know the job that we do. And he said, but I think we can do a better job if we know each other a little bit better. And I would like everyone in the room to go around and share, so, share something about themselves that the others are not likely to know. And then he threw in just a little, you know, a little humor. He said, you don't have to tell us about your felony arrest. You know? so <laughs> he's like, just tell the group something 
that the others are not likely to know anything about. And so it was, it was fascinating, funny. And for example, there was one woman who said, I can do a proper English curtsy. And so all the rest of us were like, let's see it. And yeah, she gets show us. on the floor and does this, English, <laughs> this British curtsy, you know, for the queen as it were. And then there was a, another guy um, that I barely knew. I knew his name and I saw him in the hallways, but we didn't really interact. And he said, my wife and I are in the process of adopting a little baby girl. Mm. And of course the whole room goes, oh, yes. you know, but the point is I never, I never, I don't, I no longer saw him as just somebody from accounting. Right. He was a guy from accounting who was also a devoted dad now in my mind. Right. And every time I saw him, I had, I had something to springboard off of. I was like, Hey, Carl, how's your little girl? And for two years, he would tell me how she was, you know, she's learning her ABCs or whatever. And so that's the part I think that a leader can do these little exercises that give people who are different something to anchor onto that is safe, that is comfortable, that is funny, that is human. Human, of course. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was just a really great exercise that cost nothing. And all of us ended up with all this stuff that we could talk to each other about. And it built bridges in ways that I think just traditional training can't. Absolutely. Well, Kelly, before we let you go, you have to show us outside your window at Estes Park. <laughs> All right. So for those uh, who don't know, Estes Park, Colorado is about 90 minutes north and west of Denver. And uh, it is right outside the gates of Rocky Mountain National Park. So I'll just give you, I mean, I have to bear with me here while I swivel sure. around. So absolutely, I have, I have a view this way. Beautiful. The and then I'll give you another view that I think is even better. Let me, here I am swiveling again. So we're looking at the Rocky Mountains. Yes, we are. We're looking and at the Rocky Mountains. If I can tell, it looks like there's a little snow still out there. There's We're, a little bit of snow yeah. every weekend. Uh, there's a little bit less, but let's see. Yeah, I think you can get a pretty good, uh, pretty good sense of the beauty that oh, I'm surrounded with. Just here. gorgeous. One more time. Well, no wonder there you. Go. Can, That's a better shot. That probably so helped. I've got that mountain there. There it is. Yeah. I, is this where? This must be where you write four books. <laughs> you know, it really <laughs> does help to books. have. Uh, some peace and serenity when you're trying, when your head is full of ideas and you're trying to like crystallize it down to some words. Well, fantastic. Kelly, I want to thank you so much for being with us on Zoni Living and I hope you'll visit us again. Uh, just tons of great ideas. Um, love your energy and love what you're doing to help us in the workplace uh, be better to ourselves and to each other. Well, thank you so much for having me and the fact that you are paying attention to this topic and your uh, listeners and followers and viewers are too really, really makes um, makes my day. Thanks. Oh, fantastic. Well, have a great day up there. You too. The book, How to Work With and Lead People Not Like You, is available on Amazon. You can read more about Kelly McDonald also at FlagstaffBusinessNews.com or QuadCitiesBusinessNews.com. A healthy work environment is all about building trust and earning respect. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Zoni Living, Business, Adventure, and Leadership. I'm Bonnie Stevens.